Hey, Vex, why are they used blade core crystals all over the place? I am trying to find me a cute rare blade. I mean, Pyra is nice, but then she turns into Mithra, and Mithra is such a pill. Plus, she won't get in the maid outfit. You stay out of Taurus things. Tore me that outfit specifically for Poppy. Don't you think this is a waste of perfectly good blade cores? I mean, you are the only one that could transfer them. Wait, shut up, everyone. I think this is it. Come on, Cosmos. Come on, Cosmos. Well, well, howdy, y'all. Name's Dahlia. Oh, is it me or is it cold in here? Wow. Jiggly. Man, why does everyone say that when they awaken my blade core? This is RBG Backtrack, RB Gamer's official retro gaming podcast covering titles from the early days of PC gaming right up through the consoles of yesteryear. Join hosts Kelly Ryan, Matt Mason, and the estimable Mike Minky as they and their guests tell you what to borrow, what to buy, and what to relegate to that big backlog in the sky. Hello and welcome to RPG Backtrack, your regular deep dive into your favorite RPGs. We are, of course, a production of RPGamer.com, bringing you such other fine podcasts like RPG Cast, which is your weekly news show, and Q&A Quest, which is your weekly feedback show, not to mention Twitch streams, articles, reviews, adventure corners, all sorts of cool stuff. And with me, as always, the blade to my driver, Mr. Mike Mason, Matt Mason. <laughs> My, we're, it's a, we work out blended into one here. You know, to, to be fair, we have like three M names on the <laughs> show at once. And I already have to like call you something else in front of my husband because my nephew's name is Matt. So I have to say Potty M or uh, Backtrack Matt. So, <laughs> but trust me, I know your name because you're my partner in crime. Yes, well, I'm glad to be here tonight. And then we've got up at four in the morning talking, talking Xenoblade, Alex Fuller, uh, and our esteemed editor-in-chief. Morning. And then ba- back from uh, Bad Monster Hunter, Hunter Movie Jail, Mr. Michael Apps. Oh, I don't want to see that movie. Don't make me see it, please. Neither do I. <laughs> That looks terrible. And then Mr. RPG Backtrack alumni, Mike Mohiki. Yes, I am indeed here. Don't expect to hear me a whole lot tonight because I am not an expert on Xenoblade, but I am most assuredly here and will occasionally say things just to remind you of that fact. Yes, this this is uh, Backtrack 223, Blady Driver, where we're talking about the sequel to the esteemed game Xenoblade Chronicles, Xenoblade Chronicles 2. It's going to be a, a fun show full of all of your favorite RPG information, g- breaking it down, getting into the mechanics, and talking about our favorite memories of the game. So after this brief musical interlude, we will be right back and we will dive in.
And welcome to the main event of RPG Backtrack, where this week's show we're talking about Xenoblade Chronicles 2, released worldwide for the Nintendo Switch on December 1st, 2017. Wow, that was already three years ago. That does not feel like that. Um, this game was actually first announced in the Switch reveal presentation in 2017, which I don't know if you guys remember that presentation at all. Uh, very, very distinctly. T- to me, it was very weird because I was watching the presentation. And it's like, well, this looks like a Xenoblade game, but the characters just look way too anime to be a Xenoblade game. <laughs> and then as soon as they showed the title screen with the whole grassy grassy thing on it, it was like, oh, I guess that was a Xenoblade game. Okay, then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, it, yeah. Oh, go ahead. It's funny because I was pretty late to the party to the first game. I my first playthrough was the 3DS game, so mm-hmm. it, it was the first game was very much fresh in my mind, and I was, you know, had played a ton of Chronicles X and was ready for more. So as soon as I saw that logo come up in the two, I like lost my mind. <laughs> oh, I, I lost my mind too. Um, yeah, it, it was also amusing because I think that. That all the stuff was in Japanese in that intro, and my husband, who knows Japanese, is like, "Oh wait, you can't understand any of this, can you?" I'm like, <laughs> nope, not a word. Oh, but I, I digress. Yeah, they went for an interesting style change with this game, didn't they? Yeah, um, I'd say it mostly worked out, but um, you know, after playing uh, the re- remaster of the first game, I think I probably prefer that style. Uh, but it, it's definitely like a distinct look. Yeah. I don't necessarily hate it or dislike it, although some characters just don't look quite right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and... Oh, go ahead. Right, I mean, yeah, the primary difference is basically a lot of the facial animations, which is where it's, it's it gets better than the original one in that you can actually see them talking. They aren't a bit sort of static in their faces and everything yeah. like that. So that's, that's definitely where it gets the big boost from being on switch mm-hmm. and not to mention it allows it to be a little bit more comedic with some of the stuff like the uh cut scene with tora and poppy just as an example one that i was watching before the stream and seeing just the hilarious outtakes that the characters are capable of in oh, that yeah. And I think part of the disconnect has to do with the fact that this game kind of had multiple character designers because, and forgive me for butchering some of the Japanese names, but Masatsugu Saito uh, designed most of the main characters and he worked on a manga called Expelled from Paradise. But then Tetsuya Nomura of Final Fantasy fame designed most of the Torah characters like Jin and Malo. So you can kind of tell... The, the, the difference between the, the two different factions in this game. And then, like, they like so many of the Blade characters um, were designed by guest artists. Yeah. Now, some of the, some of the Blades definitely look strange <laughs> or just don't fit quite right. Right. Um, so, kind of getting into the uh, summary of the game just a little bit, it's a huge, uh, well... I want to say huge open world game, but it's not a connected open world like the previous game. Instead, there's like five different continents that are giant 
uh, titans that you can explore. And it's kind of like the Bionis or the Mechonis, except that the titans are more animals. Like, I think one of them is a giant turtle, and one of them kind of looks like a giraffe. Yeah, it's not really open world talkers. I mean, like Xenoblade Chronicles 1, it's all the areas are actually fairly linear. They're just very big, yeah. and there's lots to explore in them. So it's it does a sort of good job making the areas feel big, despite them being generally quite linear to actually venture through there's always a an actual route you have to take which uh-huh. it sort of needs to because all these events take place on the map so you actually have to funnel players into them but yeah like the, the chronicles one yeah it's just a lot of fun to wander around the the areas oh yeah the, that first area that i'm blanking on the name of now i want to say G- not jinbu i had the i had the world map open and i accidentally closed it the the f- first titan that you get to explore is kind of the grassy uh, grasslands cool. like cool. Would, yeah like that and um be, being able to explore him and it's just it, it feels ginormous and there's all kinds of twists and turns and p- p- kind of nooks and crannies that you can go into but yeah come on it's basically xenoblade 2's equivalent of car planes mm-hmm. mm. yeah, complete with very similar music oh yes um then yeah, this game takes place in a world called Alrest, which is this huge cloud sea, and the humans live on the Titans. And then talking about the blades, um, it's kind of the big mechanic of this game, where blades are artificial life forms that are weapons that can resonate with humans and give them special powers and stuff like that. And there are in the base game, there are 38 total blades to collect. I can't remember how many blades got added to the DLC. I want to say it was like 11. Yeah, I mean, it's not DLC. It's actually free updates, so they were... Oh, right. Yeah, the, the only DLC for this game was the... sort, of, And it's not even right to call it a DLC because it's technically a standalone thing that you can buy, so... Right. Right, that... It was kind of confusing for me because I bought the expansion kind of after the fact and it had that code in it for... Um, the kind of the bonus stuff that you got for pre-ordering it. But yeah, so huge game. Um, let's talk about the characters in it. We've got Rex, who is the main character, and he works as a salvager. And then we've got uh, Azurda, who is a small titan at the start of the game. He's, he's like a very tiny titan, but still big enough for Rex to live on his back. Yeah, he's basically Rex's airship. Yeah, Rex's airship. <laughs> a living airship. And then you've got Pyrus slash Mytha, who is one of the most powerful blades in the game. And at the beginning of the game, she gives Rex her blade core to have her blade core to save Rex's life. And that's a mechanic in the game that's kind of interesting because blades come out of blade cores and the people who resonate with them are drivers. And... Blade cores kind of have a special bond with their driver in a way, and Rex and Pyra are kind of interesting in that they, because they share a blade core, they kind of share their pain in a way. Yep. And then you've got Nia, who is a cat girl and is part of um p- part of the kind of group Torna at the beginning of the, of the game, and they hired to hire you, Rex, to go um, salvage a ship, and Nia's, Nia's blade is Dromark, who's a tiger, who's actually one of my favorite characters in the game. And then the Nopon return this time around, and the you, um, 
token no pun in this game is named Tora, who is an engineer, and he makes an artificial blade called Poppy, who, eh, kind of, I don't know, I want to say a lolicon. <laughs> well, no, Tora is a lolicon, and well, actually not really on that. Yeah, Poppy's depends, it depends on which form you have Poppy in. <laughs> yeah, th- there's made costumes involved to put it that way, and then Zeke, who is the crown prince of Tantal that was banished, um, he kind of shows up as comic relief and is also meant to be a homage to, I, th- I want to say, Bartholomew Fatima and Xeno Gears. I love Zeke. Yeah. Oh, oh, his his cutscenes are hilarious, <laughs> um, especially when they're trying to find their pet turtle. <laughs> And then the last party member you get is Morag, who is a special inquisitor of the Empire, with her blade, Brigid, who is a, I call her Fire Princess Leia because she has the fire buns. Morag you get before Toro, I think. Oh, you definitely get before Zeke. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was showing up, or I put them in the order that they show up, not necessarily the order that you get them in. I thought Moira came before Zeke because she's sort of she's an early fake antagonist. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that because Zeke is more of the comic relief until he shows up and then is kind of important. But then they yeah. don't really get into Zeke a whole lot. Yeah, I was honestly surprised that Zeke ended up a party member because he just seemed like this ridiculous joke character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he, yeah. He he ends ends up being a really great character. Yes. Yeah, he, like he's, he's yeah he's one of those characters who sort of knows more than he lets on and is yeah more useful than he lets on. So mm-hmm. he's, I mean he, he's he, always... comes, he comes more into it towards the end of the game when he's actually doing plot related things and helping Rex. Yeah, I mean he's Lance. he's still obviously the comic relief, but there's a lot of depth to him, and I really really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. And then we've got our bad guys, as in the organization of Torna, who is kind of a terrorist organization that basically wants to destroy the world, of course. Um, You've got Jin, who is the leader of the organization, and then... Malos, who is the second second in command, and he's he's the one that specifically wants to find and capture Pyra, and he's kind of got a lot going on with him, but that's later. And then the other antagonist that kind of shows up later is Amalthus, who is the um, praetor of Endol, so basically kind of a pope, um, extremely old. Drive is the driver of two of the blades in Torna, and there's also Malos's driver. And yeah, he's basically, well, I almost said space, but he's more evil religious dude, more or less. And yeah, J- Jen and Malos and the rest of Torna just kind of like follow you throughout the entire game and give you grief. Yeah, so at this point, you probably want to add a mention at least for Laura who is more relevant to the Torna, the Golden Country expansion slash standalone entry, but it basically acts as a prequel to Season Blade Chronicles 2, taking place, I think, a thousand years before? Uh, possibly. 500. 500. But yeah, but she's the main character in that, as she's she's Jin's driver, and basically her is a lot of the driving force behind what Jin does. Mm-hmm. And events, and also it also expands a bit upon Malos and Amalfa slightly because he appears in the in the game. But yeah, 
in in that game, interestingly, Malos is still the enemy of everyone, but it's ha- it's sort of how Jin joins forces with him in the end, or why Jin joins forces with him in the end. Ah, oh, I see. Man, I I really need to play Torna. Yeah, me too. The the problem for me anyway is that it came out literally at the exact same time as Dragon Quest XI, and unfortunately for me, Dragon Quest kind of trumps DLC. Yeah, it's a bit weird calling it DLC because it's almost its own game. It's about twenty twenty five hours. So, Mm -hmm. and we'll we'll get into that a little bit after um, we kind of get through the main game of Xenoblade Chronicles. Yeah, it's Um, just worth mentioning at this point just because the character connections in that is yeah directly connected. Yeah. So um, just a a little spoiler warning in case you guys are listening to this and having played Xenoblade Chronicles 1, which came out this year and are planning on getting into 2, we are going to kind of spoil a lot of the story um, and a little bit of the story of Xenoblade 1, though it's kind of a minor point, but it's still in there so j- just a spoiler warning guys um so we, we start out with rex getting the job from the trade skill guild to go salvage an ancient ship with uh nia and torna and that's when they find pyra and then jen stabs rex and that's when pyra gives half of her core crystal to save him in exchange for him ex- escorting her to elysium which i, I think ha- all happens in a dream sequence yes it does and then after that, that's when um, Nia defects from Torna, and then that's when the group escapes. Um, Azurda the Titan kind of takes a fatal blow, and th- that scene made me really upset because I loved Gramps had- having no idea that he was going to come back as a baby that lives in <laughs> Rex's hat. Yeah, I thought that that was ended up being kind of funny. It's like, oh no, this fun character is gone. Oh no, he's there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that is yeah, definitely weird mood whiplash in that one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because it's it's so sad, and then it's not. It's so sad and suddenly yeah. comedic. <laughs> and then after that, you're you're swallowed by the Titan Urea, and you kind of go through the st- the stomach a little bit, which was kind of cool. And then that's when you escape with a driver named Van Ham, who kind of teaches you about the nature of blades, and all of that stuff. And you get you kind of meet um, Van Drem's a blade rock yeah and then later van damme takes the role of doomed mentor yeah 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 because then he dies and then you get rock and that's when you learn that blades lose their memories when they switch become a core and then switch drivers yeah it's kind of funny when he died i was kind of expecting him to come back after crafts but he doesn't (laughs) yeah i I think i got slightly spoiled on that one just because of the um the review notes i had we're sort mm-hmm. of don't don't talk about what happens to uh, Van Damme. I think was the the message I got in chat. Things like, okay, well he's doomed. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, sp- spoiled by embargoes. Yeah, that's fine. It's still as a scene, it's still quite quite an impressive one, especially with the the way it uses the music as well. In that one, is just a definitely. Mm-hmm. And then it's not subtle about what it's doing in that one. <laughs> And then, yeah, during during this whole section of the game, this is when he learned that Torner is a terror, terrorist group, and they're trying to destroy the world by unleashing the Artifice Aeon on the world tree and killing the Architect. And the Architect is basically kind of the god of this world that everybody talks about kind of creating this world. And um, d- during during the fight at the end of the 
Uria chapter, um, Vandrum is killed, and then Pyra and unleashes her true form as Mithra, and has a cool cutscene and blows a whole bunch of stuff up. And then, yeah, Pyra and Mithra are the same person. They just switch personalities back and forth, which from what I understood of Torna, um, she did that as a way to kind of conceal her memory. Um, sort of. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's sort of Mithra is was the original and is the main one in Torna because Pyra is basically created by Mithra after events happen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think Uriah is where you get where Mithra first appears, and yeah, it's it's interesting the differences between Pyra and Mithra's personalities. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not fully explained sort of why that is and sort of what the yeah what yeah because Py- Pyra's sorry I didn't mean to cut you off there. Pyra's no, really I'm... sweet and kind of cool, and then Mithra is very much a tsundere kind of pill, gripey, slaps the crap out of Rex at every opportunity kind of character. Yeah, I mean, again, it sort of Torna's expands on that a bit and makes it a bit more, just provides a small bit more context to it, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like them both as characters, they are. Oh, I, I like them both too, but boy, they, I'll never forget that the cutscene where I think Rex and Pyra were in bed, but then she turned into Mithra for some reason, and then beat the crap out of Rex. And that's that joke kind of just went through the entire game as Mithra. Yeah. And yeah, so at this point, the party is trying to find a way past the Ophian, the dragon that's guarding the world tree. Um, it attacks them basically every time they even try to get near it. And at this point, this is when they join forces with Morag. Um, that's where they go to the Empire Town, where they meet um, em- Emperor Nial, who is Morag's elder sister. And then that's when you also meet Amalthus, who is... No, Morag's the older sister of Niall. Oh, Morag's the older one. I I read that and got confused. Yeah, Morag is the elder sister. I think that's just... Uh, Okay, that's that's what I thought. That's written oddly. (laughs) Yeah, it it, it was written oddly on the Wikipedia, too. That's why I was very confused. Um, And yeah, that's when you meet Amalthus and... Um, he's trying to, to negotiate peace talks, and he's yeah. very much a hey, spot the bad guy because yeah, he. Yeah, there's a bit of um, context to that in that sort of the um, more ordains the Titan Elon is actually sort of dying, so they've got currently got an energy crisis, which is why they're sort of being a bit uh, say aggressive. Not quite the word, right, but why they're sort of trying to expand a bit so they can actually move everyone off their dying titan and obviously the people who live on the other titans they just want to get onto don't like that mm. yeah, yeah so during yeah, the there's, pe- there's sort there's sort of a, a semi backdrop of conflict going on but not not really active yeah the, the empire seemed like they was going to be the big bads and then that just kind of plot line just kind of got dropped after this and then the um, trade prince Bana at some point tries uh, tries to kill Emperor Niall and party re- rescues him and all is good. Yeah, Bana uh, the comedic bad guy, I think. Yeah, big fat tradey trade pen- prince like Nopon. Yeah, with with his I want to say Smee equivalent, <laughs> sort of sidekick. And then. Uh, after that, the group is trying to find a third Aegis because I, I forgot to mention that that Pyra and Malos are Aegis are considered Aegises, which are like big, powerful blades. And there's a third Aegis, which is supposed to be like a third sword, but nobody knows where it is. 
Um, and it is at this point that it's revealed that Nia is a flesh eater, which is a blade made human by devouring its driver, which apparently, which also every member of Tora, Torna, except for Malos is. And then after that, you, you end up at the cliffs of the world tree, and this is where um, Rex had managed to unlock Pyran Mythos finals form Numea. And then Malos summons Orpheon, the dragon, and that's where the group is knocked underneath the Cloud Sea, which is a huge ruined city. And then that at that point, that's when Amalthius kind of reveals his true nature and starts to ch- attack the world tree with the Titans. And that's when Jin kills him. I mean, it's kind of kind of paraphrasing the story a little bit. A lot. The, the, a lot happens. <laughs> yeah, a lot happens. This is just kind of the bare bones summary of the story because one, um, a lot of dungeon in between this and then actually ending up in Elysium, and that's where you meet the um, architect who is a scientist named Klaus. And boy, his name and voice sound really familiar, don't they? Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's worth mentioning. This is a long game, which is why you get the bare bones parts, and we're not going to go through. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. 60 to 80 hours that it takes. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and, yeah, this is where the connection to Xenoblade 1 comes in. Because, yes, the scientist uh, called Klaus is voiced by Adam Howden, who has played a, a similar role yep. <laughs> in Xenoblade 1. So, yes, this is. What's also interesting, what I was kind of doing my research, is um, finding YouTube videos that play the universe-creating cutscene in Xenoblade 1 and Xenoblade 2, and it's word-for-word the same dialogue, but acted completely differently between Xenoblade 1 and 2, where 1 is more being kind of sinister about it, and two is being more hopeful about it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in one, Klaus is just a complete jackass, and obviously <laughs> the way that he splits is that the jackass side goes goes to Xenoblade Chronicles 1 in the form of spoiler stanza, <laughs> with, yeah, the connection to Shulk as well in there. And, yeah, in Xenoblade Chronicles 2, he's much more benevolent, but obviously he can't really do as much direct, directly anyway. He does do a lot afterwards but yeah yeah and and just kind of explaining what what he looks like because that i think in the cutscene they kind of show him only at half half screen so you know for a fact that the, the other half of him is going to be screwed up and yeah his other half is completely it looks like it's drifting off into another dimension it almost it's, looks like well, it looks, looks pretty cool that's what it is yeah <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much literally what it's done <laughs> and um as he's explaining stuff, explaining about the device that called the conduit that sends objects into different dimensions, um, he's talking about how his other half is about to die. And as he talks about that, he kind of pauses, and you can hear the final boss fight sounds from Xenoblade One, which was awesome. <laughs> oh my god, was that was awesome. mind blowing! As yeah. soon as I saw that scene, it's like I I need to get on the internet and talk with somebody about this. Yes. <laughs> I I finished this game late and somehow I managed to not be spoiled about any of this, which was great because, uh, yeah, it was, it was great. I remember on back backtrack me me only being able to say yeah it connects to Xenoblade One in a big way, <laughs> and not being able to say anything else because um Chris hadn't said it hadn't finished the game yet and Alex is like oh yeah and then I just. 
asking Alex, like, so did you did you draw drop? Yeah, there's <laughs> <laughs> something like that. That comfort that conversation happened ages ago but yeah, i'm sure yeah. that's how it went yeah it's a bit fortunate in that you actually have to have completed both games to know the connection in the first place and then uh-huh. which makes it a bit easier to actually yeah. not accidentally spoil oh yeah, yeah. and it, it was really surprising to me because the way i always took the ending of one was the original universe was destroyed and this kind of sort of seems to make it the opposite like not only was it not destroyed but it's like essentially infinite possibilities of more Xenoblade, basically. Yeah, it's well, it's not clear. I think in this in this case, it feels like it's definitely the old one has split into two. So yeah. there may be there may be other wars, but there will be less connected. I mean, yeah, the one thing Xenoblade, Xenoblade Cross doesn't connect because it is ostensibly set in the original world mm. or the the original universe. Sorry, not the original world, but yeah, the original universe. So that that, yeah. that one's that one's still separate from these two. Yeah. yeah, we'll get into that one in another backtrack eventually <laughs> when we find more people besides Alex and I that have actually finished it. Because every time it comes up, it's like literally only me and Alex that say that we finished it. Uh, I lost, accidentally deleted my like fifty-hour saves. Oh no. <laughs> It's not going to be me for a while. I mean, yeah. you could still talk about the gameplay and stuff and G- just yeah, give your yeah. ears. Given the platform, I think we'd largely focus on the port for that one to get more people. Yeah. <laughs> I'm um, really hoping for it. Oh, we'll have to find some guests. My hope is that if we say that we're going to do it, then we're going to summon a port like we summoned a port with um, Tokyo Mirage Sessions and everything will be happy. <laughs> But I digress. So, yeah, Malus eventually f- obtains the Aeon to destroy the world, but then the group defeats him in a really bitchin' boss fight that's c- colorful and spacey, and I-, I thought it was just a treat for the eyes. And then, at this point, Klaus dies, and that causes the conduit to shut off, and without the conduit, the world tree begins to crumble, and that's when all rest starts to kind of crumble with it. And then, Numea helps the group escape, but then sacrifices herself to detonate the world tree, and that cutscene made me cry. Yeah. Um, mainly because the other characters had to drag Rex away, and they were trying to make uh, Tora, or he was trying to make Tora bring her to him, or bring him to her, and Tora was like, no, I can't do that. And, oh, so, so sad. Um, but then, uh, because of Numea, Azurda turn, returns to his adult form and then flies everyone down to all rest. And that's when the Cloud Sea fades to reveal a new world tree, and then the new Titans merge to form a huge Titan as part of Klaus's last gift. And then Pyra and Mithra are revived in separate bodies and reunite with Rex and happily ever after. Yay. And yeah, I mean. I think it took me around 80 hours just to get through the main story of this game, just because of how, not only because of how huge it is, but all the side stuff that you, that you can go do. It's really massive. <laughs> uh, I mean, talking about blades, all 48, all 38 blades have story uh, side quests that you can go do as you unlock your affinity with them. 
And yeah, tr just try it. I mean, th this I think this game would be a completionist nightmare because not only are the blades kind of hard to get, but then trying to do everything with them, max out their infinity charts, do all their side quests, do all the heart to hearts. I mean, I imagine somebody trying to complete this spending 200 hours in the game. Yeah, if not more, especially if you even like count time with the with the uh, Torn of the Golden Country, too. Oh, yeah. So that's even more. <laughs> yeah, Torna's Torna's smaller, and I mean, Torna's a bit weird, and that part of that is you have to do side content to advance the story. Mm -hmm. there, is, there is a sort of roadblock in that that requires you do a good chunk of the side quest, and that's sort of considered, that consists of it's 25 hours, so it's definitely not as bad. And I said it's more it's, it's, more its own thing rather than a expansion. I mean, and, I think and one, just... one one thing that's probably worth mentioning with the plot stuff is the localization. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, like the original Xenoblade Chronicles, which obviously released in Europe first, Nintendo of Europe handles the localization, which they didn't do for Cross. I think that was largely Nintendo of America. But it's it's really obviously evident by the accents. <laughs> Near is Welsh. I think Morag and a lot of the other Moradain are Scottish. Well, yeah, Va Van Damme is... Van Damme kind of sounds like a British person doing an Australian accent. <laughs> and I think that, that's a, largely the case for most of the Uriah people. So they, they sort of use the accents for different regions, which is quite effective. Yeah, I, I like that touch in games like this. Yeah, it's a bit like Xenoblade Chronicles in that sort of voice actor's not actually much of a thing in the UK. Mm -hmm. It's not really a distinct role. It's basically, it's the same as just being a, being a normal actor. So most of them, well, most of the people who are in the game don't actually have much voice acting roles. They're all quite experienced in sort of either TV, theatre or radio, things like that. So. Oh, cool. I didn't know that about uh, British voice acting. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you get some people who occasionally sort of go into bigger roles. So I think um, Melia in Xenoblade Chronicles 1 is Jenna Coleman, who has actually basically ended up being the do Doctor's companion in Doctor Who for a oh, good wow. few years. Hmm. She, yeah, she was Clara. Um and the the other thing is that I think when this game, or, yeah, when this game came out, they offered a day one free DLC pack that included the Japanese voice acting, so that you could switch. But, why? but I mean, to, <laughs> to, I mean, to, to, I gotta say, to be honest, that I mean, that's for purists, but I thought that the voice acting was good enough that I never switched. I loved it. Yeah. You, Usually voice acting has to be, per, like, I want to say Star Ocean 4 levels of bad for me to want to switch. Yeah. Even switching on that one doesn't help much. Yeah. No. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> yeah. It, it's bad either way. Yeah. Yeah, I think I did switch and then immediately switch back on that one because I figured if if the characters are going to annoy, annoy me, at least I want to understand them. But that's another backtrack for another day. <laughs> Really? Um, so yeah, the main gameplay mechanic of this is the blade system, and just talking about the the blades a little bit, they kind of <clears throat> it, it kind of to me it streamlined the combat a lot better than in Xenoblade One because to me Xenoblade One felt like a single player MMO, and this made it feel more like a single player action RPG. Yeah, and a really interesting one too, like. I can't even think of a good comparison for it. Like, not even 
the original Xenoblade, really. It's just it's yeah, it's a bit of an expansion on the previous one, so it retains the same basic feel. It's the same. It's sort of it's a real time system that tries to make the action the action feel more alive and keep, sort of keep the action going, but it's still quite tactical in its nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah, yeah. The, ba- the basic thing is players control one one of the drivers, and you've also got two others present in battle who are controlled by. By the AI, each driver has three blades equipped at one time, but only one of those is active. And they basically that uh, blade determines what the driver is doing or their current abilities and role in combat. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, basically you've got the you've got the same auto attack as in the other Xenoblade games, which is which I think you have to stand still for. But yeah, that that does the the base base damage and that fills up the gauges for skills used arts using arts and those are the sort of blade specific roles using those arts in turn fills up another gauge which generates specials and it's all about sort of chaining those chaining those together but you've also got elements like timing positioning um element elements so fire water etc uh-huh. and it, it's it's a lot of sort of just linking all of those together to yeah it's it's pretty engaging because there's a cause lot damage and status of. effects yeah yeah, it seems it definitely seemed like kind of an extension of the um, topple system in Xenoblade One. Only now you can inflict all sorts of different status ailments on the an enemy. Yeah, uh, it's just... a bit more pronounced here. It's it's designed to use that topple system as much as possible and sort of combine yeah. those with the special attacks, so much more so than the first game. Yeah, so I mean, when you do the damage, you can just b- bring the pain, and uh, j- just like in the first game, there's a lot of named named monsters in some of the areas that mm-hmm. if you if you run into by accident, you're in for a wake up call. But then once you can beat them using some of your blades, it just feels so satisfying. Yeah, so the blades themselves are sort of they are actually built into the three main party roles. So they do for the role of tank, attacker, or healer, which basically defines what what they do in combat and sort of any combo abilities, things like that. And yeah, it it, it works really well for sort of trying to ensure you have a good balance in your party. But yeah, the the way you set up your party, it, it offers a decent amount of customization for it. You can set it up in multiple ways. So you you might want sort of some character to be able to switch between all three just to offer you the flexibility if needs be. If you've got a tough battle, you might need two healers for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Things like that. So, so I, I will say, even though I love the blade system, I kind of got upset or annoyed at how you obtain a lot of the best blades in the game because they bring the gotcha system for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there, there is one bat up on the north part of that grasslands area that I think I've killed no less than a million times <laughs> because that bat had, had the best odds for dropping the legendary cores. Oh, wow. And even though all cores have the potential of, you know, giving you a rare blade, it's the legendaries that kind of had the highest odds. And I think that was the majority of... I think that's why the timer in my game was so high. Just killing that bat and then going through all of the cores. And then killing it again and then going through all the cores. And yeah, eventually I got all of the story blades. But (laughs) I think that they could have done that way better. Because even though the common blades are good for 
you know, s- sending them on missions and stuff, they just don't compare to the unique ones. They also look very lame. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, they, I mean, yeah, they have the generic use. They're, they're quite obviously yeah. there to be, I think, fill space more than anything. Yeah. Really. Yeah. <laughs> The Merc is where they get the where they're primarily useful and also for generating some environmental skills. But mm-hmm. yeah, again, primarily yeah. primarily Merc missions. I mean, yeah, I, just to touch back on Torn again, that's where it's different in that all the blades are set. There's no there's no actual sort of blade activation or whatever the word was in in that one. So yeah, you you get a set of blades and those are the blades that you use in the games of each character. I think has either two or three. Probably two, actually. But and I, I think what made it worse was that, like a month after I finished this game, they not only gave you the upper the ability to skip the unlock sequence, um, they also made it so that you could favorite your favorite rare blades or just the kind of the more useful common ones that you can send on missions and stuff. So that made cleaning out my blade inventory before that it made cleaning out my blade inventory a nightmare because I had some of the common ones that were just very high level and yeah, going through 99 blade cores, not being able to skip the cutscene was a nightmare. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's got that, it's that weird annoyance between where catch things. I mean, the plus side of the gacha is at least there's no cost to it other mm-hmm. than but you are if you want everything you are spending time so it's it's a bit dependent on how you can cope with that sort of system mm-hmm. i mean if, if you're fine just moving on then it's just a yeah cool if you want to get everything then it's very annoying yeah because oh, oh. yeah. I... I mean yeah part of the annoyance behind that is there are side quests behind it, which is one of the things I like doing. So it's sort of a bit of a trade-off there. It was a trade-off for me as to whether or not I can be bothered to activate the plays to get those side quests or not. I think, yeah. Um, did, did anybody have any particular favorite rare blades that they liked? Um, uh, there was one. I don't remember the name. I'd have to pull the game up. Yeah, I think the one's... I like to actually, I think they had the side quest before you got the blades because it's a bit different for some of them. Some of them you do get from doing the side, the side quests actually come before you get the blades. So I like I liked the ones the ones involving Praxis and sort of her sister one, which I can't remember the name of. I had a list up and yeah. now I can't find it. Uh, oh, Praxis and Theory. Those ones, so I, yeah. did like, I did like that side quest. Let's see. I think Boreas ended up being like one of the ones I used in my final team. That was a wind healer blade. Yeah, it's it's a, is quite useful. Yeah, big old ball um, opens its stomach to reveal a pearl, which is kind of scary, <laughs> and has a high pitched voice. But man, that thing could heal. Azami, yeah. um, I think I used quite a bit. Which one? Azami. Oh, Azami. It is, I think, a dark attacker one. I think I used her for yeah, and then even though she wasn't top tier, I used uh, Cora a lot. She's an electric healer blade, um, and she had the lock picking skill, which was really handy. I think that's the one I used. I primarily used uh, controlled Nia the whole game with a bunch of healing blades. Oh. I think she was one of them. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Nia Nia's almost designed as as the healer, so. You... Yeah, yeah. I, I primarily just control Vex. Just that's usually how I end up playing the games, and I usually control the main character. But 
Mm-hmm. Well, it was just fun exploring with her too, because you're just running around riding a cat. Yeah, that's true. I did forget that bit. That that is cute. And then um, as as far as the rare bites in Ursula, I ended up liking a lot because she was the um, girl with the polar bear. Yep. And I remember liking her uh, side quests quite a bit. And then, of course, I I had to get Cosmos just because I she's one of my favorite <laughs> characters, and I think she was like the second to the last one that I ended up with. Um, the last one I ended up with being Dahlia, who has a very weird character design. It's a naked bunny lady. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit weird in the. The side quests are a little bit annoying for some of those because you actually have to keep using the blades for a while before you can unlock a lot of them. So, mm-hmm. um, game also brought back heart to hearts from the original game too. Yeah, I, I think they I think they're a little bit different here. They're, they're less of a sort of connected to the actual affection system. The affection system sort of less of a deal here. It's more about the sort of unlocking blade. Little bonuses in this one rather than the affinity trees, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's got still got the usual slightly comedic conversations there. Mm-hmm. And, and trying to unlock some of those affinity trees were pretty crazy, um, especially trying to remember what items you needed for each character. Yeah, I mean, again, that, that's something the completionists might get more out of, but also there's still a lot to do to unlock anything, and that whether it's worth it or not is going to be is up for debate. Especially, you really don't don't need to go through it to actually get through the game or anything like that. So, yeah, this this was definitely one of those games where I had to tell myself it's okay if I don't do everything, (laughs) Um, because otherwise I'm going to be be at this until May. Because I think I got it in January, or no, I got it for Christmas. We'll, we'll get into that later, but yeah, yeah it's it's definitely a, a completionist nightmare. But at least they give you a lot to do. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. even like mostly just going through the main plot, which can take quite a while. I never felt like anything dragged on at all. So to have all that extra content too, it's it's just I don't know, it's extremely well put together yeah it it's got an interesting tonal balance yeah it's, i mean in, it it's a bit it's lighter than the previous xenoblade titles although those two both had plenty of comedic value xenoblade chronicles 2 is a bit lighter and but it's still like we said earlier there's a lot of different moods in the game there's plenty of plenty of drama and haunting emotion and but the tonal balance works really well for what it is as a game especially if you're going to have something this long you can't really go too heavy and just and stick in that one direction you need to have that balance here and i think that's what works for xenoblade chronicles too yeah definitely yeah um how, how did you guys like the story compared to the first one uh i know it, it's tough because i feel like they're very different flavors i think ultimately i like xenoblade chronicles one same a touch a touch more i mean it has the benefit of being the first one mm-hmm. and yet and so it gets a, just a bit more points of it for originality on that front for mm-hmm. me i think also i think i like the i like shulk as a hero a bit more than rex as well which mm. which helps a bit um there, there's a small part of me that likes this game story a little bit better and 
not because I had a problem with one story or anything, but more because it just, it kind of resonated with me a little bit better, especially with kind of the stakes that were at state, you know, um, trying to keep all the Titans from dying. And I I felt like I could follow it just a little bit better. Um, Now I'm, I'm, I started the remake of Xenoblade 1 recently, and I'm wondering if I'm going to still feel that way after I finish that one again, because I barely remember the story from Xenoblade 1. And... Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm saying 1, but it's like a... When we're making the choice, it's like, which which is 1A and which is 1B in this? Yeah. It's not A. Yeah. Which is good and which is bad. It's, yeah, both are fantastic from my point of view, so... Mm-hmm. And then, uh, just like the other game before, the music in this game is spectacular, especially the overworld. Especially the overworld themes. Um, I like that there are different overworld themes for night and day. It just kind of sets a mood. Um, I like that each area, or each of the Titans have their own overworld theme that kind of fits their theme, which is really cool. Um, Yeah, just an amazing soundtrack through and through i was i was jamming it before the show just to kind of refresh my memory and it's like i could i could leave this on for work and it'd be the perfect background noise yeah there there's one like dramatic track they use for a bunch of cutscenes. i thought i was going to get sick of by the end of the game but instead i loved hearing it every time it showed up so it's uh just the, the soundtracks for all these games I can just put on and listen to all day. Oh, yeah, it's, it's uh, it, different. Yeah, it's largely the same team as behind Xenoblade Chronicles One. I think the main exception is Yoko Shimomura doesn't isn't involved in this one, and so Yasunori Mitsuda actually le- leads the yeah led, led all the uh, music and OST, and yeah, he he does a fantastic job and yeah all the others so you've got ace i think kenji hiramatsu and minami kyoto but all the tracks are fantastic it's also got an interesting i think somewhat keeping the the well i say british theme but it's actually an irish irish chamber choir called anunya which is it's just heavily involved in this i think you hear them mostly around the um around the praetorium obviously because they've obviously got that nice religious religious vibe to them but yeah it's very interesting how they've used that as well and you've also got i think the vocal tracks play a bit more of a role here than in xenoblade one xenoblade cross is obviously a whole different beast with hiroki hiroyuki suwano doing that one so that's just completely separate to the rest of to the other two games musically but yeah the vocal tracks of gem birds do the job we sort of mentioned it earlier with the scene with van damme where they it just uses that to completely ramp up the emotion <laughs> uh-huh. I'll tell you what, why don't we have a quick musical break so that we can kind of rest our voices and then when we come back we'll get into the Turner expansion pack a little bit more and then talk about our memories of the game and where we were at and then wrap it up with the price and availability so stick around
And we are back for part two of RPG Backtrack for Xenoblade Chronicles 2 to talk about the expansion pack. Because, yeah, modern RPGs, that's the fun thing. You get DLCs, you get expansions, and in this, this case, you get a standalone expansion that you don't even need the original game to play. And since Alex finished it and reviewed it, he's going to kind of give us a brief rundown of what happened in Torna, the Golden Country. So take it away. Yeah, so like we mentioned earlier, it takes place roughly 500 years before before the main game. I mean, it it's sort of weirdly placed in that it's it acts as its standalone thing, but really it's it's definitely a companion title. You need to play Dune Chronicles 2 to get the most out of it. It obviously doesn't really give you a hugely satisfying conclusion just because it's obviously leading into something else. Uh-huh. But I mean, it it works as a good jumping on point if you're a new player sort of wanting to test the waters a bit because it's as i said it's only 20 to 25 hours and that includes a lot of the side content which is largely mandatory oddly but this takes place on the titan of torna which is one that has four reasons explored in the in the conclusion of the game sort of doesn't exist in xenoblade chronicles 2 anymore so it it doesn't spend any real time introducing the world so there's a bit here which sort of assumes you know about the nature of titans and things like that so again not perhaps not appropriate as a standalone title but again but it's basically as we mentioned you're following the mercenary laura and sort of her her partners who are sort of gin and hayes but you also get torna's prince adam who is mithra's original driver and basically those two are hunting down hunting down malos to sort of who is still like like in the other game trying to destroy the world for yeah i'm not sure the reasons are fully explored he's just trying to destroy the world so i think i think the re- the reasoning is more apparent in scenes like chronicles 2 as you get to the notations it's got a much more mature overall story i think as we mentioned earlier scenes chronicles 2 is a bit more light-hearted in, in its story it sort of strikes the tonal balance while torna is much more focused on that sort of mature overall story though there are a few light-hearted moments laura's really a really good protagonist he's sort of a mixture of mature and kind she's yeah a, a lot more mature than rex and sort of and quite well supported so yeah it's a much more constrained story yet you don't get much information about the world but it sort of works in torna's favor because it sort of keeps things compact it moves along at a much quicker pace than seems like chronicles 2 and it's it's also good at showing the relationships between all the characters because you also got i think bridget is also in this game just to say a blade of the sort of third character who they're, who they're with in the game. But yeah, I mean, it, the largest change is it's actually a further build on Season Bay Chronicles 2 combat system. So most of the systems return all the auto attack specials. But in this one, both you can, you sort of directly control the blade or the driver. So you can actually sort of switch between them. So rather than just the driver being lot wholly dependent on the blade abilities that the driver here has their, their own abilities and you sort of you're heavily encouraged to just keep switching between which one is active whether it's like the driver or either of the two blades each one has in this game uh-huh. and it basically so all the attributes and health are shared but the switch mechanic sort of ensures that uh, you can do some quick healing in that one as opposed to it, it's an alternate healing option because seems like chronicles 2 the healing was either relying on special abilities or sort of knocking potions out of characters here you've got the special here you've got sort of a when you take damage it leaves a portion filled and if you swap out then it sort of refills that portion for you okay now that would have been nice in the base game because he- healing was kind of a pain in the base game 
yeah, it, it sort of gives you a, a, a sort of an alternate method of keeping keeping HP up because yeah, like I said, there's there's less flexibility in how you can build your party because you've only got a driver and that driver only has two blades, so you don't have the you can't sort of do a all healing party for a brief period. Now, hmm. it it I think the combat system in Tournament is arguably the best one I think out of all the Xenoblade Chronicles ones I think, and just how the how the switch mechanics sort of just helps everything makes it more exciting it's, def- it's definitely sort of feels like the most more a bit more interactive than Xenoblade Chronicles 2 just because there's a bit less waiting for things to build uh-huh. it also tweaks the elemental specials a bit so like in Xenoblade Chronicles 2 you had like 16 16 combinations of three which sort of built up so you had level one level two the level three and there were 16 exact ways you can do that in Torna you you can actually do any potential combo I mean the, the 16 still remain as the sort of the most powerful ones but you aren't you can't you're not stuck if you don't get the first two rights and have a, something that doesn't lead into the third one so you can always at least do a tier three even if you've got not got that that step set up but yeah so I think other differences it's crafting is more of a is, is in addition to the game it sort of replaces the getting new blades mechanic here i think crafting is generally used for sort of things like side quests creating accessories and sort of getting passive boosts for all the characters it's it's straightforward but it's a, ni- a nice way of, sort of building things i mean like i said it, it still looks as great as the chronicles 2 everything's great torn as a nice new place to visit you mm-hmm. also you also visit uh, Gormot a, a couple of times in there. So there's only two titans in thing, which in Torna, which is Torna obviously, and and Gormot, which is interesting to return to because it's sort of obviously 500 years before, so quite a few things are are different. Not as built up. Um, yeah, I think that's the case. Yeah. Ah. So I'm, so I'm exactly your fans of it. Yeah. And um, one thing I was reading about Torna, just kind of getting an idea of it, was that this was um, one of the potential story candidates for the initial prototype of Xenoblade 2, but then they kind of held back on this story because they was afraid of the budget and then later on proposed the scenario as an expansion. Yeah, I mean, it it makes sense like that. It, it, it does connect, but it's also not really needed as part of Xenoblade Chronicles 2. You don't need it to really understand anything. It's, it builds upon it rather than being a true thing. So, I mean, yeah, you can you can tell that it has been extended just because of the way the side quest system works because uh-huh. you obviously, at a certain point, you need to have completed sort of X amount of the of the side quest, so you basically have to raise your community level to a, cert- a certain point and yes, I mean, that's basically done just by doing side quests. I mean, it, it doesn't really do a problem. I mean, if you're doing quests as they become available, sort of just as part of your regular playing, then yeah. you'll pretty, you'll pretty much reach that stage anyway. But if you're just trying to mainline it, that's going to be a roadblock. I see. And yeah, all the, the quests are decently interesting, so it's fair enough. Mm. And at 20 hours, I imagine that it doesn't overstay its welcome. No, yeah, like like I said, it, it, it doesn't sort of wait, it doesn't do any waste, it, wasting of time. It's, yeah, it, it goes through at a fairly decent clip, so. That's cool. Well, yeah, um... yeah there's, there's a bit of new music. It's actually got a slightly jazzy, jazzy ring to the, ring to the, the new music in Torna. So, I mean, yeah, the voice acting strong as well, so all those things, so, yeah. It, it's definitely well worth it if you are a big fan of Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and just want some more stuff like it. Yeah, n- next time I need to burn 20 hours on my Switch, or I'm, I'm between games, I think I'm going to 
put, put this one next just because it does sound like more, more Xenoblade and, but without the kind of fat that or kind of the bloat that even though I didn't mind it about Xenoblade 2 guys sometimes you kind of just want a shorter experience yeah 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 um, it, it, it's good sort of if you want to, yeah it's sort of if you get a desire to say replay Xenoblade Chronicles 2 you may be better off just leaping into Torna rather than and enjoying that mm-hmm. quick experience and just getting bogged down again Right. Um, yeah. The the form the form is. I think it works better if you've played Zeno Chronicles two and completed that before. Mm-hmm. Just because all just because a lot of the stuff it sort of glosses glosses over about the world building and things like that. But yeah, it's it's sort of a trade off. It works nicely as it can work as an introduction as well. But I think it works better having played Zeno Chronicles two. Cool. Uh, um, talking about the pricing and availability of this game, it is available on the eShop for 60 bucks. the main Xenoblade game. Um, and you can also find a bundle that has Xenoblade and Torna for 90 bucks. and this also includes all of the extra uh, DLC packs and stuff like that. I mean, not DLC packs, the update packs that kind of came with the Torna expansion. Yeah, that, um, that I, I was... Slightly incorrect. There is some DLC. I think it's one rare blade and a few sort of in-game items. Yeah. But that that comes with the expansion pack that also includes Torna. So. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like, if you're a cart person like me, <laughs> it's kind of the opposite problem. Where Xenoblade the two, just the base game, can be found for as low as thirty bucks, but the Torna expansion cart. Um, gets around 40 for the cart, 50 for the cart and the box, and 60 if you need want it with the DLC code. So you might be better off just getting the eShop for that. Um, otherwise, uh, you can also get the Torna expansion separately as 30 as or at $30 on the eShop. And the collector's edition of Xenoblade 2 that comes with the hardcover art book, steelbook, and soundtrack. I've been seeing it around 160 bucks used, which is kind of. It, it seemed like this this game and Xenoblade Chronicles X came out in December when I can't really buy games for myself because of Christmas stuff, and because Nintendo collectors editions tend to sell out instantly, I can't really put them on my wish list because. By the time my family gets to them, it's already sold out. So I I missed out on this one and Xenoblade X. So when uh, Xenoblade Definitive Definitive Edition came out for the Switch in May, it's like I am buying that one. I don't care how much it is. Yep, I mean, I'm trying to, this game has gone on sale on the eShop a few times. It's usually when Nintendo does their big big ones. So you, if you're patient, you can find it occasionally on sale. It's mm-hmm. obviously it's obviously a Nintendo sale, so it's it's not a huge amount, but I think it's usually around either thirty or forty bucks. Yeah, if I remember correctly, when it does go on sale. Yeah, I mean so, you, you yeah. can't beat it at that price. You can do things like import the soundtrack from Japan. I think that that's usually available, and it's not it's a nice five disc mm-hmm. soundtrack as well. So. I I was listening to the soundtrack on YouTube, and that's fun and games until Nintendo decides to take that channel down. Yep. Well, I have all I have all the. Uh, Xenoblade soundtracks and physically so right right cool well we are going to take a quick musical interlude and then we will be back with the final lap and wrap things up
and we're back to talk about our Xenoblade 2 memories. Kind of how we got the game, where we were at when we were playing the game, that that sort of thing. So um, we'll start with Mr. Apps, Mr. Wheels. Uh, I got the game at launch and played it a good amount then. Uh, but as anyone who's heard me talking podcasts before knows, I'm easily distracted by shiny objects. So, <laughs> a pain uh, we all feel. Yes. So eventually it went into the backlog, I want to say after about 30 hours or so. Not because I didn't like it or anything, again, just shiny new objects. Uh, so earlier this year, actually, uh, once everyone was locking down and whatnot, I decided I was going to finish it. <laughs> And I did. And, um, yeah, I have, I think, other than getting stuck in a few bosses, nothing but fond memories of my time with this game. Uh, The characters are entertaining. Uh, Maybe they're not as good as one, but there's just so many fun moments and touching moments in this game. Uh, And just, uh, if you look for some of, like, the gifts you could find, there's a lot of <laughs> really hilarious spots in this game. And um, yeah, I, I really loved everything they did with this game and um, kind of expanding on what they did in the first game, but making it feel like its own thing and not, you know, not just necessarily doing a retread of one. And um, yeah, really most of my memories of this game center around just the characters because they're just, they're, they're, the animation style in this game really lends itself to a lot of, I'd say, emoting. And uh, just like every every moment in this game, be it just like combat, the way all the, all the attack, cool attack animations of the blades and the different characters to just the cutscenes and everything. It's just like a visual treat. And, um, you know, I can't say enough nice things. Uh, and uh, I'm really hoping that, you know, g- given where that ending went, that the, there's more to come and maybe they can find a way to bring back some old characters to have them all adventure together or something weird. I don't know. Uh, Xena, Xena Wall Stars. Yeah. And, <clears throat> you know, a- a- after finishing one, it felt like, you know, that world was kind of done. And it didn't. I didn't think there was a lot of room they could kind of continue things, and they proved me wrong. And it's, it, it's this game really expands kind of the, the lore of this whole weird universe in interesting ways. And uh, yeah, I'm really interested to see what they do from here. And yeah, cool. The the game's great, and I can't recommend it enough. If you have a Switch. You need to get this game. Oh, indeed. Yeah, um, it's been. I've been seeing it go on sale quite a bit this past couple of weeks. So yeah, um, and it's funny we're talking about it this time of the year because for me, I got it for Christmas the year that it came out. Um, it was really the first huge Switch RPG that I played. I don't really count I Am Sitsuna because even though that was an RPG and it was for the Switch, it was kind of a snooze fest for me. Um, but but this one just kind of sucked me in right from the get-go because I remember I was opening our presents and then my family watching a movie and I spent that whole movie just playing through this game. Uh, and and yeah, it, it was... <laughs> 
it, it was funny because I didn't really use my Switch all that much that first year, except for to play Stardew Valley <gasps> and a little bit of Breath of the Wild, <laughs> just because the the release schedule was kind of slow. Was going, <laughs> yeah, and then ended up when this game came out, it's like play for three hours uh, on on the docked mode and then for bedtime pick it up carry it carry the switch to the bedroom and then play for another hour before bed and learning that oh the switch gets kind of hot when you're playing it playing it this much <laughs> huh <laughs> but yeah i i had a lot of fun with this game and then i remember i finished it the day before dragon quest builders came out for the switch because i had a horrible i stayed home from work and i had a horrible cold that night and it was one of those things where i was too sick to work but just coherent enough to game so i sat there and i i played the game for like four hours straight trying to finish the game and then the next day i woke up it's like i have nothing to do now <laughs> oh no i was getting sick that night and then finished the game and then woke up and ended up staying home from work because i've kind of felt like crap and played stardew valley for like an hour and then the mail got here and my husband came downstairs and was like you got a package oh cool that's my dragon quest builders and then popped that in and got sucked into that so, wow, that took you about six months from start to finish, because Builders 2 was in the summer. Yeah. Yeah, you're, yeah, that was last year. No, wait, I, I honestly can't remember. 2018. Now, see, I thought Builders 2 was 2019, because I uh, played it brand new, but... Oh, it was 2019, yes, yeah, because yeah. It, was, it came out right before uh, S, the uh, 11S did. Yeah, yeah, you're right, because we went to... When we went to Japan last year, that's pretty much all I played on the plane was Builders 2. <laughs> but yeah, kind of weird how I associate those two games just because I played them back to back. And yeah, I, I agree with apps. I loved every minute of this game. It was one of those ones that I kind of had to make myself finish because it was like, I got this game coming out tomorrow that I really want to try. And if I don't finish it now, I'm never going to finish it. So... I'm going to power through it and cold and everything. And yeah, that that's my memories. Um, how about you, Alex? Yeah, so I got the game for review. So I played it in November 2017 and I completed it in about 20 days. Oh, wow. <laughs> Fast track. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, this is, I think this is the first one where I actually did a proper dropping of everything to, to get the review out, but it, there's a few games in that for this one didn't feel like work in the slightest uh-huh. which I, I was i actually sort of was working the caveat that i'm probably not going to be able to get this out in time for embargo uh-huh. but i was i think i ended up so enraptured by it that i managed it i did actually get it done and complete and reviewed and everything and just in time for the embargo which was basically around the launch date and yeah wow. i think i'm i think i'm largely echoing I'll even say, yeah, I was just, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I, I was about to ask, you fast-tracked it. Did you feel like you rushed the game, or did you get what I, you wanted no, out of it? I, no, I didn't really fast-track it at all. Okay, it just seems <laughs> like you did it 20, no, 20 I, days. Yeah, no, I was just playing it a, playing it a lot. Okay, yeah, I think gotcha. I think I was still on the, I think, probably 70 to 80 hour, hour mark in it. I did a large a large amount of the side content but i obviously didn't 
I think sort of going all in on getting all the play cool crystals. I sort of, uh-huh. I didn't try and do every side quest. I sort of, I did all the side quests that I could that sort of felt naturally and I could unlock right. readily. If if there's anything that required me like grinding up a blade for like ten hours to unlock a side quest, I didn't do that. that, but I still, I still did sort of the a large amount of side quests. I got most of the Merc, Merc group areas to at least five to five stars, I think. Mm-hmm. There might have been one or two that were four stars in the end, but yeah, I still did as, oh, I for- as much content as, as I was happy with. Yeah. I forgot about that whole bit where you had could level up the uh, towns by doing shops and stuff. <laughs> There's so much content in this game that it's impossible to even remember it all, much less do it. I don't do think it I as- even ever did that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, it's doing stuff like talking to NPCs and things like that would just level up, and then I think you'll basically get more Merc missions and a few more side quests. Ultimately, yeah. by by doing that, it's yeah, it's not something you have to do, but it it's there and it's sort of it's, it's another potential completionist area. Yeah. I think yeah, like, like Merc, it's, it's sort of something you can sort of do as you're playing other things. So it it's it's quite effective in that way, and that it sort of lets you there there are areas you can sort of progress by not really doing much yourself, but by mm-hmm. doing other things cool but yeah like, like i think we said most of the thing i i love the game completely it completely sucked sucked me in and yeah there's a reason i think this is currently my favorite rpg series oh that is awesome um if if you the listener want to talk about your memories of Xenoblade chronicles 2 then you can either add us on twitter at rpgamer.com or check out the show thread i mean I'm sorry, I got that messed up. You can talk to us on rpgamer.com for the show thread when the show eventually goes up. Or you can add us on Twitter at rpgamer.com. We've also got the Facebook community that we posted the, the, the link to, um, along with all, all of our other news stories and stuff like that. We only got one feedback last from last show, which was about... About two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, about two weeks ago, I want to say. Sorry, it's been a crazy two weeks since we did all this stuff. I, I like did did the show cover artwork and just kind of hash hashing out details of the show and yeah. But our feedback was from our very own Cassandra Ramos slash Strawberry Eggs. She says, it is sad to see you go, Phil, but thank you for the past decade of backtrack. You did great, Kelly and Matt. I look forward to future episodes, both listening to and being on them. Thank you very much, Cassandra. We look forward to having you, you on yeah. on in the future, too. Um, definitely got a Pokemon episode coming up at some point that you're going to be on, as well as Bra- Bravely Second, which I know you're going to be on because that's your favorite 3DS game. So, yeah. Um, thank you very much for being on to talk about Xenoblade Chronicles 2, Mike, and... Mike, M, and Alex. It was a pleasure to have you on, as always. And we look forward to having you on for future shows, especially Alex, who got up at four in the morning UK time to talk with us. I can't do this once a week anyway, because of my uh, eye racing. Yeah, I I figured (laughs) that... So yeah, I'm doing this again tomorrow. I I figured that with your (laughs) eye racing schedule, that this wasn't all that unusual, which, but we appreciate it regardless. 4am works better for me than the original 2am. 
Mm-hmm. No, I, I understand. It, yeah, it gives me an actual better block to sleep in. <laughs> I, I just know that I can co- talk this coherently about games at 4am. I can't even talk this coherently at 11 o'clock at night. That's but okay, anyway. we had wheels on, who's the resident night owl anyway. Yes, our Q&A quest guru. And with that, uh, we can probably let him go and start Q&A quest. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, that being said, RPG Backtrack is a production of RPGamer.com, which is your one-stop source for RPG news, period. Um, and it's great to have you guys on. Do you have anything to wrap us up, Mike? Mobiki? I had a strange idea. The letter X as a title seems to have a pretty good track record for RPG. Maybe better than most other letters of the alphabet. I don't know. We've got the Xenosagas, we've got Xeno Gears, and we've got Xeno Blade, and well, the first couple of Xeno Sagas are uh, something. But otherwise, we've got a pretty good track record with the letter X. Basically, it's Tetsuo Takahashi, who is pretty much responsible for all of those. You're throwing out my entire spiel about the letter X having a good run with idling here. <laughs> I was going to say, you, you might be able to go in the recent ones that have ended in X, so you've got Etching Odyssey X. <laughs> If you want to go that except, way, but... except they called it Nexus when it came out across the Pacific. Oh, that's true. Uh, or I'm... Project, I, I refuse to call it Project Cross Zone. It's Project X Zone. Don't don't say don't use the letter X if you want me to call it Cross. There's a cross looks like something other than an X. I'm gonna say you know that was Monolith Soft as well. <laughs> Still the same developer. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I have officially derailed myself, but the letter X <laughs> still has a still has a good track record in titles. So think about that, won't you? Thank you.